Welcome to my favorite episode ever of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. <laughs> Today we have Mark Frauenfelder. He's the co-founder of BoingBoing.net and the author of Made by Hand, My Adventures in the World of Do-It-Yourself. Mark, I am pleased as punch to have you on the show. Well, thanks a lot, Brian. I'm really happy to be on your show because I'm a devoted Twitter follower. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I love your tweets. Oh, boy. I don't know. Uh, maybe I need some separate accounts. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good stuff. Okay. And, you know, I, I think I, I'm not sure exactly how I started following you, but you talk about things like fermented foods and um, nutrition, which are things that I'm interested in myself. So, great job. Maybe I learned about you from the kombucha camp. I think it was world. kombucha. Yeah, actually, I think you, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned once, I, I wish I was there, you know, to share a kombucha story or a scooby with you and i think it took off from there yeah it could be i wish you would share scoby with me now because all of my scobies have gotten moldy and bad yeah. and i can't i've been i've been trying to get started again using like some store-bought kombucha from whole foods and it just doesn't work for you does it's it? it's not taking no yeah no i need a, I need a scoby yeah well there you know they've reformulated so they've they've put some scientists to work so it, it's not the same as it was is that to get the alcohol content that's down? right that... yeah mm-hmm. so that stuff is not real kombucha anymore i, I don't believe so if you're if you have to show your id you might be getting the good stuff because you're in california mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um so if they do make you show your id it's very it's it, the kombucha is so complicated right now with the you know for that reason with the the alcohol issue but you know you're in la you should talk to the kombucha mama do you know her her name is, I, no i don't her name's hannah crumb mm-hmm. kombuchacamp.com and that's with two oh, k's okay. k-u okay. you know kombucha camp, camp yeah spelled with a k okay so i am familiar with kombucha camp but i didn't know that she was la based that's yeah. great mm-hmm. oh yeah she's your go-to source you'll be you'll be just fine going forward awesome thank you for letting me know that sure um well, let's talk about, you know, a little bit of uh, your about and let the folks know who, who you are. Sure. So um, I uh, have two different jobs, basically. I'm the uh, one of the editors at boingboing.net, which actually started as a zine in the late 80s and turned into a, a blog along the way. And um, I'm also the editor-in-chief of Make Magazine, which is a do-it-yourself technology project magazine that's about eight years old now at this point it's been going for a long time even though it feels brand new to me yeah it's strange but uh there i really enjoy both of those things it's a lot of fun um boing boing is uh a place where i can post things that interest me um everything from comic book art and science fictiony things to uh, uh, man, it, it's it's hard to describe what it is. Boing, other than I don't know, anytime I tell someone about Boing Boing, I have a hard time telling them. <laughs> like I want to tell yeah. them about all the in, you know all the individual editors and their unique takes, you know, and how um, it, tech pop 
culture. It's everything. So, you know, I like how each individual editor on your site has their own flavor, their own adventure and discovery. They do. I I think what what works well is that we have enough overlap and enough uh, different take on things that it's a good mix. You know, we, we fit together like jigsaw puzzle pieces where our edges fit together well, but we have our own territories and areas that we yeah. explore. It's, I, so I always say, it's, it's, it, it's, read. It's, the, it's the most fantastic website there is, period. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate it. That's nice of you to say. Although, I can only spend just a few minutes in any comment section. <laughs> the comments are a different kind of a place altogether. At, at I think least, of it as a different place. Yeah, at least on your site, they're civil, um, more so than just about anywhere else. But it's tough for me. I don't know how you do it. You're so kind when people say stupid things. <laughs> you know what? We're not always kind. I try to be. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that our commenters are not a representative sample of our readers. They're a little bit harsher, and I don't mind complaints. I don't mind criticism. Sure. It's fine. Um, but it's just not... It's definitely not as much fun, usually, as reading the other editors' posts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I enjoy the posts a lot. Sometimes I have to get in on the comments because it's a, maybe perhaps it's a subject I care about or think I have some special knowledge. I like mm-hmm. to chime in, but I usually get shot down by some one who's more geeked out than I am. So there's a lot of geeked out people. <laughs> I, I do like it when people uh, start, you know, they start a, a joke and and people riff off of the joke. Oh, they really run with it. In, and I love that. You, and that's really fun. Have and, you seen how many names there are for your Cantar? On, no. In the comment section for it? They've come up with new names for oh, it. There's probably 300 names that they've come up for that thing. Wow. Oh, it's, it's, cool. it's hilarious. It's from the old post. Um, um, I'd have to go back and find it. But anyways, it's there. That's um, so funny. Yeah, it's, it is very funny. So, I got, I think what happened was, I, I think you had a free chapter of your book available. Mm-hmm. And that's how I discovered it. So, you mentioned that. Well, so Yeah, I gave it away. I, I, it's still available as a free chapter. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, help me pronounce the Rorotonga, is that it? Oh, yeah, Rarotonga. Rarotonga. Yeah. So, in 2003, or thereabouts, right? You, mm-hmm. you and your wife decided to move to Rarotonga. Yeah, that we sounds we... <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> it was an amazing experience, and we learned a lot about uh, ourselves in the process. Um, we had been there about ten years before, like in you know around ninety three or ninety four, and we really loved the the island um the people there were really interesting and and uh you know you would just walk along the road and and usually someone would tell you to hop in the back of the pickup truck and they would take you into the the town uh-huh. if you needed 
So maybe and, it was like so taking it was a very step open. back in time. Yeah, it did feel like you were stepping back in time. And so when, you know, we decided it would be an interesting place to live and and see what it was like to have a, a completely different lifestyle as opposed to, you know, being in L.A. with its, its kind of rapid pace of life to just slow down for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty cool. I mean, we, we did experience that when we got there. We, we got, got a lot of what we were looking for. Um, you know, it, it's the, the, the people who live there really do feel like a, a tight community in an interesting way. Like I remember somebody told me, that all the children are kind of looked after by every adult. And <laughs> I really did feel that way. When we got there, our younger daughter was only like two and a half months old. And we would go to like an event. Like every Friday, they would have this thing where they would do a big group hula dance. And about a thousand people would come and they would have a, you know, a ukulele band playing music and they would have food and people would practice hula dancing. And people would just take our baby and pass her from person to person. And sometimes we wouldn't see her for an hour and a half. (laughs) And, you know, at first it was a little nerve wracking, but after that we just never worried about it. And then Uh eventually, you know, we'd wander into the parking lot or down in the park and there'd be somebody holding her (laughs) and it'd be fine. And that had to become your new normal, sharing the baby. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was cool. And so... That kind of thing was great, and it was really great, like slowing down with our food instead of just buying fast food all the time. We had plenty of time to to just prepare our own food, and, and it was really fun to like process coconuts. By I, I you know I, I couldn't climb a coconut tree. I, I didn't. I never learned how, and I'm afraid of heights. So I would just wait for the coconuts to fall uh-huh. from the the trees in our yard, and they fell with enough regularity that we would get probably two coconuts a day, which was plenty for our needs. And so, uh, you know, I, I learned how after people taught me how to open the coconut and scrape all the, the white stuff, you know, the meat out. And we ended up making, you know, coconut pancakes and coconut scones and coconut cream sauce to put on the fish that we would buy from our neighbors. And that was really fun. We made our own pasta because it was hard to find spaghetti noodles there so just doing all that kind of stuff and just taking all day long to to prepare food huh. was a, a novel experience for us and it was something that when we came back to la we tried to incorporate some of that so you know now we make our own yogurt and sauerkraut and kombucha and things like that oh that's awesome yeah getting that's i'm currently a stay-at-home dad so it's all day of preparing meals. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what I'm dedicated to right now. So I definitely understand <laughs> that. How, how many kids do you have? Uh, three, and they're they're little guys. Uh, the oldest mm-hmm. is in kindergarten, and um, I have a daughter who's oh, four and a half, and um, a son who's going to be three in a few days. So that keeps you I busy. Hope I, I hope I got that right. <laughs> I may have messed it up, but. Please Close forgive enough. me. <laughs> right. So, you know, um, when I first saw your book, Made by Hand, um, to be honest, I was like, I wasn't thrilled with the idea of it. 
um, it seemed to me like I'm not real. I don't, I don't want to build a a cigar box guitar. So mm-hmm. I thought that's what the book was. Was just like I thought it was make turned into mm-hmm. a book. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be an instruction manual, but it, what it was was amazing. It was like an instruction manual for life, like the do-it-yourself, it, the life, like what and what it reveals. All you, all the little things you tried and failed and succeeded at. It's a fantastic book. Well, thanks so much. Um, it, you know, I, I just wanted to really write a book about my experiences becoming a maker, my baby steps at it, because I never really was that much of a maker, even though I was had been editing Make Magazine for about five years. I had never really gotten that into making things physically. I was always into like DIY media and zines and being in a band and, you know, making flyers and doing graphics and things like that. But actually making things was something that I had not really done very much. And after hanging out with all these makers that I had met from being the editor of Make and and seeing how, how much fun they were having and especially learning that they didn't really start with any special skills. They weren't born makers. They learned how to do it. I decided to try it myself, too, and kind of get past my fear of making mistakes and being okay with making mistakes. Yeah, and that's... so I think that mm-hmm. you know the, the, the book is a way to kind of encourage other people who are in my situation. You know, there are plenty of people out there who are really great, skilled craftspeople. And I don't know that they would be able to get much out of the book because they've already been through it and they, they do it and they're really, they've already seen. This book is for people who are, you know, just getting started in this world and, and finding out that it, it's a it's a really great uh, way to look at the world. Yeah, I know. You, you mentioned there, you know, um, basically you kind of described the very first chapter, the courage to screw things up. You know, you had yeah. to get over, you had to just get courageous enough, as, as kind of strange as that sounds, to actually get in there and, and give it a shot. Yeah, that's... Can you tell me, big part what is it like knowing Mr. Jalopy? Well, it's great. I mean, first of all, he's just... Uh, uh, such a gracious, generous person and so interesting to be around because he has interesting turns of phrase. I, lo- I love his, I love the way he talks about things and uh, he just, you know, says funny things that make a lot of sense. We were talking about some company, like a small startup internet company that was having some bad problem like a, a difficult problem or something mm-hmm. and uh mr jalopy said that's my favorite kind of problem somebody else's <laughs> and so he has you know great yeah. great sayings like that that i i love and uh oh go ahead i was just gonna say he just sounds like someone i'm just from reading you know in the first chapter like someone you you really want to know yeah definitely and he's got a great uh, garage that he's turned into a, a kind of a personal museum 
filled with things that are meaningful to him. Just a beautiful place. And he just has a, a good eye for for things. He goes garage sailing every, every Saturday and picks up stuff and, you know, trades and wheels and deals with things. So uh, just such an interesting person, not, uh, you know, very nice person and an interesting character, which is kind of rare. There's a lot of interesting characters out there who aren't really nice people once you get to know him, but he's like <laughs> right. genuinely super nice. Yeah, that's he just that's a, a great story reading about him and um, his ideas and this idea of the whole idea about you know no user serviceable parts and I loved yeah I loved all that yeah yeah he has that that kind of maker's bill of rights that he came up with and saying that you know things should have screws instead of being glued together um, and that things should come with uh, schematics. Mm-hmm. And user manuals should be uploaded to archive.org forever so that people can access this stuff. He's, you know, most of the things he buys are uh, either, you know, near antique appliances or industrial appliances that can be serviced. Mm-hmm. And he shuns uh, consumer electronics and consumer appliances because there's nothing, that stuff's nearly yeah. impossible to fix. Yeah, there's nothing to be done with it, really. Yeah, except yeah. throw it away. So then, uh, let's see, chapter two, killing my lawn. <laughs> this was done on purpose. <laughs> yeah, and that was uh, because the the place that we lived in uh, in Tarzana had a really huge lawn. We had like a half acre, which was much more property than we'd ever had in our lives. We were just watering and watering this Do you have the largest lot in all of L.A.? (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, you know, the the area we were living, like Tarzana is not, uh, you know, that close to downtown L.A. It's in the the valley. Mm -hmm. It's pretty close to an agricultural college. Believe it or not, there's an agricultural college. It's pretty close to a working farm, Um, even though, I mean, it it is L.A., but... So there's this area called Melody Acres that's zoned for farm animals and stuff. So people have donkeys and uh, some pigs and horses and goats in this area. So it was we fit right in, and there were you know there, there were actually yards with with uh, up to an acre in size there. Oh, wow. So we were you know right, right around. I think you know the smallest was probably a quarter acre for a house because they didn't want the ho- the property to be subdivided. Hmm. Some people just had little tiny, tiny houses on on half acre lots. So it was, we wanted to do something. So you know, we, it, it turns out that killing the lawn is something that you have to work at. You have you know you have to work really hard to make the lawn stay really vibrant and green, mm-hmm. and you have to work really hard to kill it completely. To actually kill it, right? Yeah, and so uh, there were different ways to do it. You know the. One way would be to spray the whole thing with Roundup, but we didn't want to do that because um, we wanted to use it for gardening, and we had chickens too. So instead, we smothered it by covering the whole thing with. Uh, well, first of all, you soak the 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 water, soak the lawn really well, and then cover it up, and then that way the, all the seeds, both the grass seeds and the weed seeds, will germinate, mm-hmm. and then they'll die. And so we did that, 
and um, it worked. Uh, you know, it worked pretty well, but the crabgrass was tough. It, I had to keep <laughs> on fighting that because it sends these little. I think they're called rhizomes. These little sideways runners mm-hmm. that will just like crawl between the cardboard and the newspaper and the ground, seeking a little chink in the armor, and then you know it's, they 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 want that sunlight. But uh, I, I would just have to keep on pulling it up, and I, I think I finally got it by just exhausting the root system. Mm-hmm. We had to move before we really got a chance to to, to start the garden on that part but luckily the people who bought the house from us this really cool young couple were totally into what we were doing there and so they just picked up where we left off and i recently went by there and visited and they have the whole front yard turned into a big vegetable garden and it looks great that's fantastic yeah Yeah, they're doing a really good job and they've also solarized the whole house so it's a solar electricity and they were telling me because tarzana's uh, it gets a lot of good sunlight in that area. They mm-hmm. are saving tons of money. They did one of those lease systems where you like lease it for 30 years, mm-hmm. and the monthly payment is considerably less than the electricity bill that they were paying. Huh. And they're getting you know almost all their electricity from from the uh, solar from panels the solar. now. Neat. Yes, yeah, really cool. And so the whole inspiration of this was for growing food, right? So yeah, you write a lot about that in the beginning of um, chapter three about learning about seeds and what real seeds are versus, you know, like you mentioned, seed savers exchange. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to Home Depot seeds getting, and yeah, know. and hybrid seeds. It's mm-hmm. interesting to learn about how you know there's some seeds, hybrid seeds will work once basically and if you take the seeds from the the vegetables that you grow and you replant them they'll be like completely different they won't be any good anymore Mm -hmm. and and, but heirlooms last the seeds are the same as the ones that you plant so it's it really makes sense to go with the heirloom varieties especially if you're not concerned about, you know, shipping them long distances mm-hmm. or picking them when they're not ripe so that they, you know, fake ripen in the store. Right. Heirloom seeds are really the way to go. And you just learned all this on the fly, didn't you? It looks like you just yeah. did it. And... and reading and things like that mm-hmm. and asking other people. I mean, I, I hung out with quite a few different folks who were doing this and were farther along the path than I was and uh you know like eric uh knutson and kelly coin who wrote a book called the urban homestead and another book called making it and they do uh you know they've been doing this for a long time and doing a really good job at it and so they helped me tremendously oh that's good you know to have the community there so, yeah definitely. Yeah. anytime i feel like i'm on an island i often give up my little tinkerings <laughs> i'm not mm-hmm. the kind of guy who can just go in the and just tinker away and hammer away indefinitely i always need someone else that like i don't know that that wants to do it too or can talk about it or something i'm yeah. not the mad independent scientist is what i, I kind of mean you know yeah i you know i i like i like both um and one thing that raritunga taught me was that I did think that I I like to just do things solo more, 
But being in Rarotonga and not really having that kind of social support network that I was just used to having made me realize how important it was. And so then when I see things like hackerspaces, I realized a big part of the hackerspace is not only the access to the tools and stuff, but it, it's the access to the other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a community of interest and a community of practice. Mm-hmm. Those people are all, you know, interested in making stuff. And the way they collaborate is really fun to see. I go to uh, Crash Space here in L.A. monthly, once a month, to meet with those guys and, and have them present their projects to me to see what we could run and make magazine or make online. And it turns out, you know, it's a lot of them collaborate on projects and come up with something that they never would have thought of on their own. And they're mm. just having a fun time hanging out, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think the projects and the things that they make are just kind of a, a social currency. Hmm. Yeah, I know. Like, so for your back to the community thing and getting help and support, this guy, oh, what was his name? Um, Alfie? What oh, a, yeah, Alfie. What a character. That's very... Yeah, he's a total character. <laughs> it was really interesting. Um, he, uh, you know, I, at first we were kind of sparring with each other because he would come over to my house and pick the uh, the figs growing on a fig tree. And, there, you know, I, I told him I didn't want him to do that because I really loved the figs myself. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, our family would, basically we could probably eat all the figs that that tree produced and I liked them so much that so but anyway I, I you know one, after we got in this I guess one of the things was just the way he was so brazenly took them and when I talked to them he just like didn't ask if he could take them mm-hmm. and, and so you know it, it turns out though it was some misunderstanding the people who lived bef- there before us told told him that he could take them mm-hmm. anytime he wanted and he you know probably didn't realize that we were new people right. and it just was like I, I felt really bad and I apologized and he we ended up becoming friends and it was uh it was a lot of fun learning from him yeah it's, he had some property like a couple of blocks away it was a, a how he had a house that had been destroyed in the north ridge earthquake and so he moved into a condominium and just you know raised the house took it all away and he just had this big garden it was like a a, a fruit tree forest almost with all wow. wandering around in there and all these different kinds of trees he was he was middle eastern and he brought back a lot of seedlings and seeds and and shoots and stuff from the middle east and just an amazing variety of figs and tomatoes and he made this amazing compost yeah an interesting is that, guy. was that your and first that, exposure to vermicomposting yeah it was what a great i mean his his produce was incredible it was like you know it's magic yeah talk to my friend talk to my friend maurice he'll tell you about the worms that's his (laughs) i've been learning this past year myself Uh uh-huh have you tried it yourself oh yeah i've been vermicomposting indoors for i don't know a year and a half or so well but um inspired by my friend Maurice uh, Maurice Small this is what this is his life is straw bell gardens and urban renewal projects mm-hmm. and and so much more but his whole yard is filled with these 
gardens, but they're actually they're outdoor worm bins that he gardens in. And we're in north we're in northern Ohio. Supposedly it's not possible to keep red wigglers here because it's cold here. <laughs> but he's breaking the mold and he's showed me how to do it. So I moved mine outside and this will be my first winter. We'll see how it goes. Hey, good luck. I'd like to find out how that goes for you. I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah, so it looks like you learned quite a, quite a good bit from Alfie, and it was just a fantastic story. I love that um, he thought the worms um, uh, just occurred spontaneously. Yeah. And Yeah, he thought that they just, like, you would mix uh, uh, dead plant matter mm-hmm. with dirt and, and water and and that worms would just spontaneously generate. I mean, that's that's kind of like really old school thought about it. And, and you know, the thing is, it's not even that old, that line of thought, because the same thing has been, was thought about so many things, um, even mice. Do you ever hear read, yeah. read the story where they thought, was I think it's mice, would just spontaneously occur in um, any given bang. environment. Yeah. In a bale yeah. of hay or something. And also, um, yeah, there's a, a good, I've read a lot about that because of the idea for bacteria in studying fermentation and things. That a lot of this stuff they thought was just um, this spontaneous miracle of creation. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Really amazing. Well, who knows in, you know, 200 years from now, which of our which one will prove theories <laughs> will be and, You know, for me, I don't even care to know. If you tell me worms are spontaneous and they just occur and you, it works, I'm on board. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. who's the guy that said it doesn't matter if it, it, how true an idea is? It, it's, you know, it's more or less how useful an idea is mm-hmm. rather than how true it is, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so did we get any produce that first year? Um, let me see. Not the uh, killing my did. lawn year, but when you got actually grown. Yeah, yeah we did. I, yeah, uh, good, good crops of tomatoes and squash uh, and... Uh, I'm trying to think now. It's been such yeah, so, a, a while. Well, long what, time. Type, Peppers. What, what type of growing were you doing? Were you rototilling the ground or were you using straw bale gardens? Or um, I was doing, uh, you know, I, I had made my own compost, which was working really well. And so I uh, had a, a plot and I wasn't doing any rototilling or anything because I, I had heard that like turning the earth was like, not a good thing to do. It was I'm gonna, better to. I, I'm going to agree with you there. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it seemed to work pretty well. So we, we got some good, you know, some berries, um, and uh, you know, one thing that it's not really, it's kind of cheating because I didn't have to start it, but I did kind of nurse it along. Where all the fruit trees that were already established on the property, you know, I'd mentioned the figs before. There were also. Uh, and I'm not sure how to pronounce the word feijoas, feijoas hmm. or feijoas. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a, they call it either, I think, a strawberry guava, just delicious fruits. Um, grapefruits and oranges and uh, 
we tried i had there were a lot of olive trees too but i i tried to spray the olives with an organic kind of worm killer but the worms just were too too strong and mm-hmm. so i was never able to get i, I wanted to uh to do some uh, brine curing of the olives and potentially get olive oil, but that that never happened. That never happened, huh? I mean, persimmons too. Which once I learned how to deal with persimmons, that became one of my favorite things too. Huh? I don't even know if I just, would knew one if I saw one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they, you, when you, you what you do is you as soon as they turn orange, you can uh, peel the skin with a vegetable peeler and then tie them on a string and let them dry, air dry or sun dry. And then they undergo that, uh, some kind of transformation where the starches turn into sugar and it's like candy. It's so hmm. good. Interesting. But the other option is to let them get really ripe and then kind of have a mushy custard, which I didn't like as much. Hmm. And then there's a whole, you know, drying of the uh, fruit was fun, drying tomatoes and drying the figs and all that kind of stuff. And I started to look into canning a little bit, but then after I got uh, a copy of Wild Fermentation, (laughs) I realized that there's a big difference between fermenting foods and canning foods, and that canned food is like dead food. There's no, you know, microbial activity in it anymore. Mm -hmm. You're basically killing everything so that... It's so funny. I tell this exact same story. This is exactly what I did. I wanted to start canning and mm-hmm. discovered the book Wild Fermentation. And <laughs> and that, yeah, literally I was in um, San Mateo, California. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, me and my, I wanted to do something kind of homey and kitcheny. Because me and my wife live far, far from the family. Mm-hmm. And I thought canning would be a nice adventure for us. And I looked into it and... You had to buy all this equipment, and I had, you know, the only place around that carried it was Sur La Table, and they wanted hundreds of dollars for canning equipment. Mm-hmm. And then it was about the same time. I think you reviewed the book on Boing Boing, Wild Fermentation, I think I did. or yeah. mentioned it, or or something. So that's so funny that it was really that the timing was just amazing. And yeah. That's- that's really funny, and and isn't that book great? Wild fermentation. I say it's it's one of my top books. Period. And I mean, in any subject matter, you know, the Michael Pollan books are really important to me mm-hmm. from on my dis- discovery of what food means. But wild fermentation is a is a fantastic book. People it's are sick so of hearing great. me talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Have you ever looked at the comments on Amazon about that book? No. There's like this really weird, like homophobic comment no. thread going on where there's these, you know, fundamentalist Christians uh. who say, I was interested in, you know, food preservation uh-huh. and preparation. And then when I see that he's, you know, promoting an uh, yeah. outlandish lifestyle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I had to throw this book straight into the garbage. That's funny because I actually promote that part of the book as what more, possibly equally beneficial. It was equally beneficial for me to read about the way he lived and his community. Absolutely. Um, it was as important to me as learning the art of fermentation, which happens to be the name of his new book. 
by the way, we're speaking. Oh, he's got us. a new book out. Yeah, Sandor Katz, Sandor Ellix Katz. He has a brand new book called The Art of Fermentation. It's not out yet, and it's supposed to be okay. a very in-depth. You know, he's twenty-five years or more or whatever of doing this now, so it's a whole new take on the fermentation process. But back to the thing, uh, the story in the community. Um, there's a section in there where he talks about a friend of his that suffered through and died from breast cancer. It's powerful. It's moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, the book's absolutely wonderful. I was yeah. actually, you know, he was on my show for episode three, I think it was. And I oh, was neat. supposed to... No, I'll have to yeah. check that out. Um, it wasn't uh, <laughs> my most successful interview ever, but I, we tried. Um, what happened? The uh, bad connection? No, 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 no. He's he has a much different personality than I thought. He he had a he was on point. He had things to say, and he was on message, and he was very scripted, but good mm-hmm. and effective. But there was no there wasn't much of a conversation. And then when I tried mm-hmm. to make one, he kind of just put me in my place a little bit, but. You know, it was fun wow. to have him. He's a really he's like a hero of mine. I was supposed to go to his um, fermentation intensive. It was like a seven-day um, live-in class, you know, for a week. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't swing it, so I ended up missing that. But that would have been something. Yeah. I bet it would. Back to what we were talking about was fermentation. <laughs> right you were saying you were going to get into canning but then you discovered wild fermentation yeah um and so you know reading that book was interesting and i just loved the idea that you are putting these microbes to work for you to to uh make the food you know to preserve the food to increase the nutritional content of it um, to make it taste better. It's like magic, and it's really... Okay, did you want me to continue with the, about talking a little bit about fermentation? Uh, people are sick of hearing me talk about fermentation, so... Okay, <laughs> let's move on then. Yeah, you did, you know, you raised chickens, you've got an awesome chapter um, called... Um, strumming and stirring mm-hmm. and uh it well it everything in here is just so great i want to talk about it all i know we don't have a lot of time we'll so quickly i am huge on coffee coffee's like i'm totally geeked out on it and uh-huh. i loved the tickling miss sylvia chapter and your adventures in learning about the art of making espresso it was it's a fantastic read but what I really want to talk about is this um, learning how to learn chapter. Let's just sure. let's just go with that one. Okay. What did I talk about in that one? Now I'm trying to think. Well, teaching um, your daughter. Math. Oh yeah, yeah. That one. Okay, yeah. So that that was. Uh, um. My daughter was kind of struggling with math, and. Uh, she had an upcoming test that she had to take, like everybody in the schools 
here had to take the same standardized test for placement into you know what kind of other classes they would go to in middle school and things like that and so it turns out that in addition to you know going to school for seven hours a day most parents will pay another thirteen hundred or sixteen hundred dollars for a tutor whose special job is to prepare them for this test and so I just thought you know that was ridiculous on a couple of levels one because she's already has her butt planted in a desk all day long learning about this stuff and then to have her come home and learn even you know be drilled even more on these concepts from a tutor kind of sucks because mm -hmm. they're just learning one way of of learning something yeah because something changed learning... for her right like you said i think in here that she liked math for a while oh yeah and then fell she away like and had no and then had no luck with it so trying to rediscover how to learn math and um but you, so you took matters yeah. into your own hands right yeah and i felt that you know if if we were going you know we decided all right well she will take the test i mean we could have opted out of the test but we thought we didn't want to limit her her options so the the compromise was that I would be the one to to be the tutor, and so it took a while to figure it out. But we, you know, we had a really ended up having a good time together, and I felt that she had a good grasp. She finally got it with percentages and fractions and decimals. That's what, what she had been struggling with, and I felt good about it. Um, but when she took the test she didn't really score that well and I think it was because of just that nature of the kind of multiple choice standardized test mm -hmm. wasn't a good way for her to demonstrate those skills mm -hmm. um, what I didn't put in the book is because it, it didn't happen till after but we now have her in a school that's uh, project-based learning and so it's mu much more of a uh, integrated kind of curriculum where she learns about a lot of different subjects at once and incorporates them into longer term, you know, like quarter long or semester long projects that involve art and research and documentation. So she's really like learning by doing, which yeah. I think is a, a great way to learn. Yeah, I think you talk and, about that in the learning how to learn is that you learn, you learn through play and practice not yeah. by being told. It doesn't... Yeah. I'm sure there's some people... I mean, obviously, some people thrive in the classroom. But I, on the other hand... <laughs> oh, man. It wasn't... I could barely get through... Well, I didn't even make it through school. It, it wasn't even possible for me. So anyone who has trouble yeah. with that form of learning, I really... It really speaks to me. So yeah. you ended up putting your daughter in a... Um, in a school, but not a traditional school. You weren't willing to right. go with the unschool method. <laughs> you couldn't get behind you know, that. I, <laughs> I, I, I thought I was I was intrigued by it and mm -hmm. considered it, but um, that's pretty out there, though. You feel like it's out there, and that's yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, just for well, selfish and practical reasons, if I were to do that, then. You know, I would really be responsible for her education, mm -hmm. and I would have to spend a, a lot of time every day being 
with her, you know, mentoring her and guiding her and things like that. And I, you know, I, I need to work too. And so I just yeah, wouldn't have the I, time. But I think truly, I think what, I don't think, I think the real hardcore unschoolers don't participate with the kids. Yeah. That's true. They don't. You're, you're right. They're literally yeah. allowed to watch TV or sit on the roof and yeah, uh, or whatever. That's yeah. That's when it gets a that's, little peculiar, right? You're right. And <laughs> yeah, that was, and that would be like too much for me. And also, I just don't know if my younger daughter might be able to be more self-directed and do something like that. That mm-hmm. that would be possible. Um, and it's something that. I'm thinking about in her transition from elementary school to middle school, like maybe sixth grade, that she and I could do a, a semi-unschooling year together where we would work on projects together and she would do some stuff on her own. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. Yeah, that reminds you know, that um, you talk about Forrest Mims in that chapter and what an inspiration he was about oh, his scientific explorations and the way he raised his children and it was a it was a fun read so yeah of all the the surprising thing was that was my favorite chapter of and it was the least i mean the one i expected the least and it really Mm -hmm. i really loved it oh good thank you i guess having the kids you know that's yeah you know it's so it's always that timing you know it's serendipitous to read something like that at a time when I'm questioning whether to send my kid to public school. Can I homeschool? Am I capable? Mm-hmm. How will that limit my ability to earn an income? And, you know, crazy things like that. Yeah, definitely. All that kind of stuff. So um, I think, or, is that it for time for you? Are we up against I think the it wall? probably is, Brian. Yeah, I, I should get going. I need to uh, heat up our, our stew. All right. Well, you go ahead and uh, take care of the family. Um, Thanks so much for spending some time with me. Yeah, and of course. Sharing your story. Um, sure, Brian. Of course, everything that we talked about will be in the show notes, but you don't even need those because there's boingboing.net and <laughs> Amazon for the book. So, I mean, what, cool. what else is there? But um, That sounds good. Well, I can't wait to hear it. And I'm going to check out your other podcast. I heard the first one, but for some reason, I don't think I subscribe to your your show i should uh, just go to ask brian.com and I yeah can yeah and there's a the okay. podcast link up at the top and it's a few of me and maurice sitting around and then um a few gurus and geeks i've discovered and we're going to do some interesting new things coming up i'm going to do a whole series on the senses so um oh, neat. i'm going to interview a deaf person a truly mm-hmm. deaf person by mm-hmm. skype so wow. we're going to try some technology um, and see how, how it works. We're not even sure. And then um, I have an olfactory expert. She's into the, you know, the, scent, the scent, smell. Mm-hmm. And I'm still looking for gurus and a few of the other ones. But that's going to be like, I'm going to try to do a whole month on that or, or more if it's fun. Yeah. And I'll always so- keep going back to health and nutrition and Things like That's that. That's good. Yeah. Do you listen to any of the paleo podcasts? Jeez, oh, I'm paleoed out. I have to take a break. <laughs> you name it, I've listened to it. I mean, I'm I'm huge on those, and it, that diet has really revolutionized my life. It's really it's really helped good. a lot, and for my children as yeah, well. Yeah, me too. So I was very inspired oh, to great. see you were on the same path. So. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so uh, that's cool. I, I, uh, it, it's really helped me a ton. That's great. Well, I'm I'm gonna let you go. I don't want to hold you up. I'll, I'll you once I start, I I don't stop. So, um, well, Brian, it's great to talk to you finally on the phone. It was fantastic. My pleasure. Podcast, I just added your podcast to the little app I use on my iPhone right. called Pocket Casts. Okay, oh, cool. cool. Thank you. Okay, Brian. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you right. soon, I hope. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.